So I feel like that was another uh, episode where we could have taken every single one of those questions and made it its own episode entirely, uh, which I always love because it means that there's a lot of great content and things that we can dig into at a later date. I, I, I do feel like it's interesting. I feel like this podcast, more than any other podcast I've ever done, guest or host, we seem to have this great ability to have perpetual content. Because of, and this this is something the survey kind of points out, the ever-changing uh, chimera that is DevRel, yeah. that undefinable thing that we do as a job every day. Um, and it was great to like sit down with Rebecca and like dig into like, all right, so you have to figure out how to ask questions about something that's constantly changing. You have to figure out what the answers mean to something that might be different from the time that it started. Like it's kind of a, a roller coaster ride of wacky data science to figure out what is DevRel and what isn't. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, really great episode. Good, good to talk. Um, you know, survey results. Also, hold on, back up, Mary. You you missed your cue. You forgot your line at the beginning of this. Oh, episode. I'm sorry. That was such a great episode. There, there go. we go. There we go. Now it's yeah. an after pulse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Rebecca had a lot of insight, and I thought it was really great that um, when the three of us were chatting before we went live, before before she showed up. Um, we had a little bit of criticism about it only being 147 people had submitted uh, for the survey, which is great. It's, um, but it's not, it's not a huge amount. We know that it's not reflective of like developer relations or community builders or whatever. Like there's just a lot more of us out there. And so we all have to go into the results with that like asterisk, knowing that this is a small sample size when it comes to data. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's link, there's not things that we can't learn from this. Um, so I was really happy that Rick, she came out at sort of, you know, opening up with the episode saying, acknowledging that this is a smaller sample size. Mm -hmm. We uh, want to try to get this out to more people so that the data really is representative of, of reality for all of us, you know, for right. just a larger group of people, because the data in there is, is good stuff, but it's not, it, it just, doesn't include everyone. So therefore, but I, but it I also, doesn't apply to I, everyone. I want to put an asterisk on your asterisk. Um, and, and the reason why is when I first started, uh, one of my first uh, engineering jobs was working in a place that did survey data. Um, and it was interesting to find out when you look at a population, what is considered a scientifically legitimate number to say, yes, we have extracted data that is representative. Um, first, and this is the hardest part, you have to know how large the population is. So let's say there's 10,000 people that do DevRel on the regular. That's their job. That's their job description. I don't know, like that, I'm completely making this number up. So this part's not scientific, but it is a representation of science. Um, if you were to get 100 people out of the 10,000, they're there. That's only 0.1% of, of the actual, or 1% of the actual population. Is that considered a good? I mean, usually you want at least 3%. So, but even 3% is only twice the number of people that we got. And so you were kind of halfway to what you'd call a legitimate scientific source. Um, you know, it, 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 it's and it's tough because like you really there's a lot to drill, drill down on data science and survey science about what creates a legitimate outcome. Um, and a lot of the things that we think are scientifically run surveys like, you know, in politics, they'll say, oh, 80 percent of people say that they like 
when candidates are above five foot 11. Okay, good, cool. But that's not actually, you know, in sports is another great example. This person went to Alabama and we know that 80% of, of football players who went to Alabama uh, when they graduate and play in the NFL, they caught 70% of the, that is so meaningless. It is so pointlessly meaningless, but they have a number of percentage that they can look back on. So when we talk about like the statistical legitimacy of something, we have to look at like, what do the numbers actually mean? And I think the first thing that we would need to do to legitimize a survey like this or any of the other surveys that are out there is find out how many people are there in Devro because right. we don't know. And that number is constantly changing, right? How many yeah. people do we know just between the three of us who have been in DevRel, left DevRel, come back to DevRel in a span of what, five years, six years? Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is if we look at a variety of the surveys that have gone out over the past three years, even if it's just you know the, the three that I am very aware and familiar with, which is this one and the uh, DevRel Collective Compensation Survey that ran in 2021, and then the state of DevRel survey, mm -hmm. right? Which has been out for uh, nine, 10 years now. Each of those, I think the state of DevRel survey had 177 respondents this year. The DevRel collective compensation survey, we only had 150. So like, it's it's interesting to me that even, even the more well-known surveys are still only getting that, that relatively small sample size. Right. It's, and I, I think part of it is, is how, how, how do they get the word out? How do you get, yeah. sure. there's no way you're ever going to get a hundred percent respondent rate, but right. we, we've also been faced, and this is, I think a full on DevRel issue, not just a survey issue used to be like, okay, I'm going to run a survey. Uh, I'll just throw it up on Twitter and tell everybody consistently mm -hmm. over the course of three weeks, Hey, there's a survey. I'll make sure that I include all time. Well, well, Twitter or X nerds, um, is not what it was. We don't have right. one source of truth or or one source of communication, really. Um, great. I could put it on LinkedIn and the LinkedIn people who are interested will get it. I could put it on Twitter and the people who are still left mm -hmm. there can get it. I could put it on Blue Sky. I could put it on Mass Time. I could put it on all these things. But there's no guarantee. Like we, we had that one channel that was great and worked really well. But now we have difficulty getting any message out for any level of participation. And I think the, the the scary thing is we're seeing that across the board with conference ticket sales and conference sponsorships with getting new content out to people. With, it's just a lot harder right now. I think we all know firsthand, I mean, it's part of our job, how difficult it is to get people to be inspired to take action. Like, you know, like trying to get somebody to a, a, a webinar or try to get somebody to your show, uh, your live stream, your, whatever it is, like it's, it's difficult. And there's, so many reasons why, you know, a lot of us are just busy during the day. Do I have time to like watch another webinar or should I use this time to do something else? Uh, we all have lots of aversions for different things that interrupt us in, in, in our calendar, especially, I don't know, as all of us mostly have pretty full calendars. Surveys take some time and take some thought too. And also there's some stuff in there that you're sharing, you know, when it comes to maybe at least salaries that, um, even though we do, everything's done, everything you do everything you can to make it anonymous. Um, mm -hmm. Until there's a large sample size, you, you just worry that you, you know you can still pick out certain things within data. Um, I think all of us know just enough about that to be a, a little bit scared of sharing some stuff too. PJ, you brought up a good point that some companies might not actually like their employees running around talking about how much money they make. 
Um, Shooting their mouths off. Now, I think my comment was that is a red flag. Don't go work for companies who who don't well, encourage you to, you know. But but even even beyond that, like we, like in, in and and you know, Rebecca mentioned this a little bit as very very American centric thing, but it is a taboo to talk about your salary at all, hmm. not just within the company but without it. And this is only slowly starting. But like, I mean, you live in Colorado, Jay. And you've just recently established that if someone posts a job, they have to post what the salary is going to be, or at least the range of the salary, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, which is which speaks to fair hiring practices and and equity and a lot of things. But you're right now the only state that's doing it. Uh, I, I was always taught, you know, it's rude to talk about how much money you make. It's it's inappropriate. You don't tell people how much money you make. That's between you and your spouse, or you and your or uh, partner, or you and your business, or whatever. You don't talk about it. It's a very oddly puritanical thing, and the real reasoning behind it. And I know that many of our listeners are going to, you know, agree and get angry with me on this, is because if everyone knows how much you're making, you'll find out that you might not be making as much as somebody else. And businesses keeping that a secret and making you think you should keep it a secret is a value to them. And I think there's there's generally generationally i think to a certain extent that's starting to change right we're seeing more people willing to talk about salaries we're seeing more people actively asking what is what is someone else in my position making kind of a deal which is great i think part of it too for surveys at least for me is i i could probably name a dozen different times where i've had a survey open in a tab and for Uh, those of you who have seen (laughs) my screen you know that I will open a tab and then it will stay there for a very long time and likely past when the survey is open. Right. So it's something that if you're going to do it, you have to plan to do it for the time to do it, but then also actually follow through, which is hard sometimes. And I think that's one of the things that I loved about um, the way that common room approached theirs and the way that Rebecca worked with the the group of us to, to really mm-hmm. get those questions down is part of her, motivation behind that was let's create a survey that makes sense to the people who are going to be taking it. Right. 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 And, and to her own admission, it still wound up very long, which is difficult as well when you're trying to gather this much information, right? How do you keep it concise? But I think making sure that the survey that you're sending out is one that actually makes sense to your audience, making sure that it's something that is, you know, presented in a a place where those people are, but then also that it's it's defined well enough that you're getting the attention of the people that makes the most sense. And sometimes that might mean, hey, let's divide this into managers versus ICs or decision makers versus uh, people who are yeah, doing get more work, of the tree like mapping setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. You know, there's been surveys thing that I've done recently where I've answered like all the questions as other or whatever, like my, mm-hmm. like, right, this, right. none of these, like, I don't know where you even came up with this list. It's not, these are yeah, not, not, a, not my mind. but <laughs> let me at least share with you what does cross my mind, because I think, I think what you're trying to understand is valiant, but the, the door you're coming in from is, is comes from different experience or comes from different mm-hmm, objectives mm-hmm. or comes from a different part of the world where they just see this, uh, this role as useful in so many ways, you know, and a lot of it's yeah. startups too, you know, when you're in a startup, like you end up doing a lot of things and, and mm-hmm, can, mm-hmm. can roll up to a lot of different places too, whether it's official right. or not. Um, but yeah, so. Well, that, that also, Jay, that speaks to, you know, sometimes, and this, this is something that a lot of people don't realize, but I do feel like 
Rebecca kind of hit on the head. You start a survey with a bias. There's you you want to learn. So it's, it's just like any scientific endeavor. You say like I have a hypothesis. That hypothesis carries my bias. Um, there are surveys out there that that are are out there and they're asking questions. And I, Jay, I've had the same experience where it's like, why are you asking this question? This is this is a marketing question. This has nothing to do with Devrel. Um, or you know this this is clearly a sales question or a pre-sales question. This has nothing to do with Devrel. Why are you asking me this question? Uh, because while I do sometimes have trouble finishing the surveys, I love surveys so much because um, I know that it, they give you voice. Um, but, you know, I will abandon a survey that is like, you know, not pertinent to the things that we do. Or I, I will I will throw in answers that are like, hey, you didn't ask this because you're clearly gunning for something else because you want to you know push your agenda. And I'm going to answer honestly and give you this written answer that explains why your agenda might not be the perspective that people are going to come at when they're looking at your survey. Um, it's it it and it's tough because then you're getting into now I'm spending twice as much time as I need to spend on this survey, and am I likely to finish it? And as it goes on, the surveys you just don't finish. Um, like I, I think it, it'd be interesting. We should have asked Rebecca. Like she mentioned, they had the numbers of people who had started but not finished the survey. I would like to know what that number is. Yeah, it's a very very good point. Definitely a metric to improve on. I think moving forward, that's sort of the big goal is, and you know, hopefully we can help out with that. I don't recall us doing a superb job of trying to get the word out that the that we were even taking, um, you know, the, the survey was out and that we were taking responses. I mean, we were yeah, I think we, we did a couple checkouts it. on it and maybe mentioned it a couple of times, but we could do better. Yeah, I, right. I feel like, you know, the state of social media these days is kind of in flames. So it's kind of hard to say where you can make any impact out there, but uh, I think in general, we all agree that uh, the more voices that answer that survey, the more we are all helping each other, you know, lifting boats, uh, rising tides, all that type of stuff. And um, yeah, it's in metaphors. It, it makes me it makes me proud to see these types of things come up and, and that we can all have honest discussions about this stuff, because yeah. uh, I'm old enough to sort of be in that in that camp of. I've spent most of my life not talking about these things. It's just, just not something you talk about. It's, not it's, personal. it's personal. And it, a lot of it is because of culture stuff where it takes all the negotiating power out of the hiring manager when they have to disclose what a job mm -hmm. is, you know, because all that wiggle room that they thought they could save on budget or whatever else to get another head, they can't do that. So it just it made things more fair for us as employees. And that's not, I mean, that's still kind of new. It's not, it's still not, it's still not prevalent everywhere. Um, so the fact that we are in that conversation makes me happy, um, and telling other people that you shouldn't be afraid to have those conversations. Yeah. And this is okay. what other people who do what you do in your part of the world earn and go have, go have the tough conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's some of the value that the, these surveys, all of the surveys bring. And I mean, the fact that there are a few different surveys means that we can a little bit pick and choose when we have these conversations. Um, you can pick the parts and say, you know, like, Oh, Hey, well, I see that, you know, 9 billion percent of people who work in DevRel work remote. I know that's not a real thing, but it is like 90%. And it should be 90%. It should be probably 100%, but that's a personal bias. Um, but I mean, there's no point in someone in DevRel working in an office uh, unless they're talking about the office itself. But it, it kind of shows like, like oh, I, I can say like, oh, hey, people in the US generally make X number of dollars. I'm shooting for X number of dollars unless I'm already making X number of dollars. Um, and I, I think that that is a very powerful, powerful position 
a very powerful place to be able to negotiate from, especially for someone who is starting out their career in DevRel or working to move their DevRel career forward. Um, you know, I would love to see a survey from the other side of like, not DevRel practitioners, but I'd like to see a survey of companies that got rid of their DevRel program. How'd things go after that? Switch to developer marketing instead of DevRel. How'd that happen? What was your decision-making process? How did it go after that? Um, I would like to see these follow-ups. Um, people who hired entire DevRel teams based on the fact that someone told them it was on the checklist and it needed to be right. done. How did, that, how did that go for you? These are some data that I think that would even help us further leverage that C-level, that hiring manager, that director, um, so that we can see and have serious conversations. Like, I'm going to be honest, sometimes I think there's companies that don't need DevRel, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you need DevRel, it's not for getting the word out about a project or the product. It's for hiring engineers just talking about what the cool tech is that you build every day. Um, like, that's okay. Dev, like, DevRel for hiring purposes, totally legitimate use of DevRel. Um, but we can't, we can't continue to say we do these things. We have this base knowledge that we can use to leverage, to make things better. We need to start making things better. Um, it's just a challenging time to start chiming and say, yo, I've got scientific evidence. You don't pay me enough money. Um, because it's really to say, cool, we just won't pay you anything. Well, and I think it's, it's all of these surveys whether it's a a big sample size, a smaller sample size, whatever it is, it gives us information about what to ask next, Mm -hmm. right? As a result of what we're seeing, as a result of what we're hearing, what's the next step? What else do we need to be asking? And whether or not we can actually get a hold of all of those people, those specific businesses to ask those specific questions, who knows? Likely not. But it gives us a, a starting point to be able to say, Here's what we know. Here's what we'd like to find out. Let's figure out ways to ask that in order to to hopefully get those answers and and be able to move things forward, which is great. And I think that's a that's a good place to end is by mentioning that these are things that are going to help us start. Um, but yeah, so excellent after pulse, one one of the best, fantastic. Uh, to those of you out there, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and this after pulse. If you do feel free to leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts and can leave feedback, or you can always email us info at communitypulse.io. Um, reach out to us on socials. I think we are on blue sky now, um, as community pulse, uh, community underscore pulse on Twitter. We're still there. If you want to talk there, I think Wesley set us up on mass, mass on Just look for community pulse. You'll find us. We're not hard to find. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Tell us what you think about the Community Pulse and the After Pulse. And we will catch you next time. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of After Pulse with Mary Thangwall, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. Learn more at communitypulse.io or at community.